Warning, the Our Voice podcast contains explicit language and may not be suitable for listeners of all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, welcome everybody to episode three of United Not Silence, the Our Voice podcast. Uh, I'm joined, as usual, by uh, the conscience of the Our Voice organization, Adrian Higgins. Hi. <laughs> and um, the muscle of the Our Voice organization, uh, former DNC chair uh, candidate, Sam Ronan. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, guys? Not much. I, I think that's the first time I've ever been called the muscle of anything, so I'll take it. <laughs> um, so real quick, before we get into the news, uh, Adrian, you wanted to talk about uh, a local election that's uh, got some real crazy stuff going on. So uh, why don't you just kind of give us a brief rundown of what's uh, happening out by you? Yeah, really quick. Out on Long Island, there's an awesome progressive who was a Bernie delegate named Christine Pellegrino running for the um, Assembly District 9. But it's uh, gerrymandered so ridiculously that there's, like, a big chunk basically taken out, so I can't vote for her. On May 23rd, by the way, that's the date of the special election for District 9, New York. Um, But my private beach, basically my town is gerrymandered out, but the private beach for my town is still in it. It's it's totally bizarre. I mean, they purposely cut out the poorer towns, um, and it's just, like, the wealthy towns. I guess they're trying to keep it Republican. Although Fire Island's in it, and you know Fire Island has a reputation for being uh, very LGBT. Yeah, so that'll be QIA. Hmm. That'll be an interesting election. Yeah, you showed me the okay. map, and it, it's insane. Like half of her district is in in the ocean. Like it, like yep. good... yeah, in the Atlantic oh, Ocean. We, it, we and... should. I'm sorry. Oh, I just wanted to mention one more thing. It also, like, it skips my town. It basically goes from Suffolk County, a few towns east of me. Mm-hmm. Then it skips my town, next town, and the towns north of me. Then it goes into Nassau County. So it spans two counties just to <laughs> gerrymander it. Like, it's ridiculous. But go ahead, Sam. Well, what I was going to say is apparently we're going to have to do a, uh, a voting investigation so that all these illegal fishes didn't cast their vote in the election. <laughs> I was saying that to Adrian. I was like, well, all right, so Pellegrino definitely has the Plankton vote, because that seems to be the only people that can vote in uh, her district, but... If you're not a tuna... (laughs) Unbelievable. No, since I don't live in the water, I can't vote for her. (laughs) I wonder if you, like, if you parked a houseboat offshore, and you're like, well, this is where I live, so, I mean... Right? I guess you guys gotta let me vote in this election. Everybody just gets a houseboat or, like, a little dinghy and just... (laughs) puts their stuff in there and then registers their address as this nautical coordinate or something. I don't even know if anybody lives there, to be honest with, like, on those beaches. But yeah. if, if you do live in District 9 on Long Island, that's uh, Babylon, Brightwater, Massapequa, Oyster Bay, Amityville, uh, Fire Island, Seaford, Farmingdale, West Babylon, West Islip, and Massapequa. If you live in those districts, please vote for Christine Pellegrino in District 9, um, May 23rd. Yeah, absolutely. She's awesome. She is great. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, uh, anything happened this week? Anything interesting happened this week in in the news? 
a lot. Gee, <laughs> I wonder. I, nothing I noticed. No, no, nothing, nothing huge or anything. Nothing um, like, you know, Sean Spicer hiding in the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Spicer auditioning for Young Pope season two. Just turn all the cameras <laughs> off. Turn all the lights off. <laughs> I can't believe they put Spicy on a timeout. <laughs> well, he I represents mean, Trump perfectly. I mean, talk about, you know, swinging into the bushes or something, right? <laughs> so uh, I'll read a little bit of the text from that story, and then we can uh, we can chat about it. This is from the New York Times, um, failing New York Times. Uh, <laughs> that, that's official now. That's, that's going to be the next executive order you need to say failing before you say New York Times. Um, President Trump on Tuesday fired the director of the FBI, James Comey, uh, abruptly terminating the top official leading a criminal investigation into whether Mr. Trump's advisors colluded with the Russian government to steer the outcome of the 2016 presidential election. The stunning development, Mr. Trump's presidency, raised the specter of a political interference by a sitting president into an existing investigation by the nation's leading law enforcement agency. It immediately ignited Democratic calls for a special counsel to lead the Russia inquiry. <clears throat> Mr. Trump explained the firing by citing Mr. Comey's handling of the investigation and Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server, even though the president was widely seen to have benefited politically from that inquiry and once praised Mr. Comey for his, quote, guts in his pursuit of Mrs. Clinton during the uh, campaign. But in his letter to Comey, released to reporters by the White House, the president betrayed his focus uh, on the continuing inquiry into Russia and his aides. Uh, what, this is a quotation from the letter. While I greatly appreciate you informing me on three separate occasions that I am not under investigation, I nevertheless <laughs> concur with the judgment of the Department of Justice that you are not able to effectively lead the Bureau, Mr. Trump said in a letter to Mr. Comey dated Tuesday. Uh, White House officials refused to say anything more about the three occasions Mr. Trump cited. Um... The officials said that uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions and the Deputy Attorney General Rod uh, Rosenstein pushed for Mr. Comey's dismissal, but, in uh, but many in Washington, including veteran FBI officers, saw a carefully choreographed effort. Saw a <laughs> saw a carefully choreographed effort by the president to create a pretense for a takedown of the president's FBI tormentor. Uh, I cannot defend the director's handling of the conclusion of the investigation. Uh, of Secretary Clinton's emails, Mr. Rosenstein wrote in another letter uh, released by the White House. And I do not understand his refusal to accept the nearly universal judgment that he was mistaken. So uh, that was like a total load of bullshit. <laughs> but uh, real quick, before we talk about that, I, I just want to, an, an update to that story came out today uh, that might shed some light as to uh, reasoning behind the firing. <clears throat> This is also from the New York Times. Uh, only seven days after Donald Trump was sworn in as president, James Comey has told associates uh, the FBI director was summoned to the White House for a one-on-one -on -one dinner with the new commander-in-chief. Uh, the conversation that night in January, uh, Mr. Comey now believes, was a harbinger of his downfall uh, this week as the head of the FBI, according to two people who heard his account of the dinner. As they ate, the president and Mr. Comey made small talk about the election and the crowd sizes at Mr. Trump's rallies. The president then turned the conversation to whether Mr. Comey would pledge his loyalty to him. Mr. Comey declined to make that pledge. Instead, Mr. Comey has recounted to others, uh, he told Mr. Trump that he would always be honest with him, 
but that he was not reliable in the conventional political sense. Uh, the White House has said this account is not correct and that Mr. Trump in an interview on Thursday with NBC described a far different dinner conversation with Mr. Comey in which the director asked to have the meeting and that the question of loyalty never came up. Uh, it was not clear whether he was talking about the same meal, but they are believed to have had only one dinner together. Uh, by Mr. Comey's account, his answer to Mr. Trump's initial question apparently did not satisfy the president, the associate said. Later in the dinner, Mr. Trump again said to Mr. Comey that he needed his loyalty. Mr. Comey again replied that he would give him honesty and did not pledge his loyalty according to the account of the conversation. But Trump pressed him on whether or not it would be honest loyalty. You will have that, Mr. Comey to uh, told his associates, he responded. So, yeah, uh, this this is uh, kind of a big deal. Um, what, do you, what do you guys think of... of, of some of the reasons behind the firing, uh, you know, obviously when this news came out, both sides were super quick to spin it. And, you know, the really crazy, like Russia conspiracy theorists on the left were quick to turn this into the biggest thing in the world about, you know, collusion. And then the guys on the right were trying to make it seem like it was nothing, but whether there is something there, there or not with the investigation into Russia, it's clear this is super, super, super sketchy. And if there isn't anything there, Trump's like a massive idiot for firing Comey because this makes him look insanely guilty. Um, <laughs> but what do you, what do you guys think about this whole situation? Maybe some of the reasons behind it. I'll let Adrian go first because well, I have an opinion. <laughs> no, I love the fact that he was like, although I was told three times that I'm not being investigated. Oh my God, such a child. So guilty. Okay. First of all, second of all, my favorite troll I want to read to you guys about Comey. Mm -hmm. Did you guys see what Julian Assange tweeted? <laughs> no. He said, and I quote, WikiLeaks would be happy to consider hiring James Comey to help lead its DC office. <laughs> Should he like to properly investigate the U.S. government? <laughs> <laughs> now that's impressive. That's just, that's cojones. That's, even I haven't said anything <laughs> that insane. That's, that's great. I'll yeah, give WikiLeaks that one. No, Julian Assange. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, what do I think? I think that, yeah, I think possibly Trump was tipped off that Comey maybe had something on him. Uh, because otherwise, why would he ha Why the change of heart? Six months ago, he was like, he was loving this guy. Now, all of a sudden, he doesn't like him? Why? Well, that's that's the question. It's like, it, any logical person, that would be the conclusion that you draw. But with Trump, he's such an egomaniac and he's such a child that it's possible that he really only did fire him because Comey wouldn't pledge loyalty to him. Even though I'm sure all his advisors were like, what the hell are you doing? This will make you look so guilty. Don't fire him. What the F is wrong with you? It makes him look super fascist, too. Yeah. It's like, you won't give me your loyalty. You're gone. No, and, and, and it's this just... not the fucking apprentice. It, it is possible that, that there it, there's a world that exists where... Trump fired him simply because he he made comments like that and also because he said he was mildly nauseous at the prospect of having helped elect Trump and Trump just had his feelings hurt by that and he just said, <laughs> you know, screw the political ramifications, I don't want this guy around. But it's also possible he was like, oh shit, he's getting really close to, you know, some shady business deal and I want to get rid of him. But, but then again, he had enough to take Hillary down, but he decided that her intent mattered, which is so ridiculous. If I ever get in trouble with the law, can I please have my intent matter? <laughs> like, who the fuck gets to have their intent 
matter yeah. when they're on trial. Well, we, Not a regular person. Yeah. What do you what do you what do you think, Sam? So here's here's my take on it. Firing the head of the FBI, period, for something that isn't related to treason or belligerently something against the security and safety of the United States of America is questionable. That's not, that goes without saying. Yeah. The fact that the person who did the firing has done similar firing and has done similar hiring for that matter of people on whims and based on loyalty tests is terrifying. Uh, the fact that that same person happens to be in the highest office in the country, technically even considered the world, uh, and that it is extremely reminiscent of people that we would refer to as Nazi Germany and Stalinist Russia, mm -hmm. uh, it is deeply, deeply concerning. So firing Comey isn't about firing Comey. It's, are we truly allowing this level of corruption in blatant disregard of democracy and liberty um, within our government to really exist and to truly happen. Like the fact that, like you said, you just said it, the right is trying to spin it as if it's no big deal. The <laughs> propaganda machine is trying to spin this as if firing the head of the FBI when they're investigating the sitting president is not a big deal, is a huge freaking deal. Um, and, and then to replace him with somebody that, like, Oh God! We don't even know what. I well, mean, some of the names being he's going to be put in such a goon. Yep. But here's the second thing: when you have names like Sessions supporting oh. it, hmm. that's even yeah. more terrifying. This creature wants to completely criminalize being poor. He's trying yeah. to push the for-profit industry and put more people in prisons because he's heavily invested in it. I just saw that article on my own newsfeed, and yeah, never mind all the other started. nonsense that's been spouting from that man's mouth. Like, it's, it's literally appalling that we are seeing a caricature of straight-up fascism and corruption in our country, and so many people in our nation are willing to let it happen, regardless yeah. of spin. The fact of the matter is this. If, if, not that we're at that point yet, and I'm not saying we will get to that point, and I sure as hell hope we don't, but this is like saying that if Hitler started gassing the Jews and putting it on national media, that the media would be saying, oh, yeah, they're just, it's just concentration camps where we're concentrating the ethnic cleansing of the, the society that has brought all this upon us. Like, at this point in time, I'm actually afraid that if Trump's decided to create concentration camps, except instead of Jews, it was Muslims and Hispanics, like, people would be like, okay. Yeah. yeah. And the <laughs> fact that he's getting away with all this other nonsense in that... I'm, I'm just saying... I'm, I'm more concerned with the ramifications of the action than the act itself. I yeah. could give a damn less if Comey is the head of the FBI oh, yeah. or not. Just, yeah, and I think him investigating Hillary was foul play. I think that was um, influencing an election for political gain that he got, and then it's now turning back on its head. Now he can choose to use that clout in that session hearing, uh, the Senate hearing, and like completely throw Trump under the bus if he so chooses. Great. He'd be doing us all a favor, but... Firing him, corrupting him, whatever. Even yeah. putting these these corrupt, just antithesis people in, into these uh, positions in, in cabinets. 
even that in of itself isn't the problem that those people are in those positions. It's the fact of why they were put into those positions and that they are and that they are doing exactly what we would expect them to do. Betsy DeVos, she was booed at a commencement <laughs> speech of a, of a historically black college because she's a heinous human being when it comes to education. Who thought that was and a good she, idea, by the way? She's trying to dismantle it. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Why did they fucking invite no, her? Yeah, that, who who thought that was a great idea? That's like that would be some like, rich asshole who runs that university who's like, oh yeah, I'm sure they'd be fine with her. Whatever, no big no, no, deal. That would be like bringing the Grand Master or Wizard or whatever the hell the head of the KKK is called to an NAACP meeting or something. Like, yeah, seriously, she, she's like directly trying to to decimate education in poor, uh, you know, my, like mostly black communities in the inner cities right. to funnel money into her private bullshit, you know, charter schools. And they and they expect her to like get like a warmer fuck off like don't yeah right. really no so I mean and I, I know I'm 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 kind of ranting at this point but to the point of Comey and yeah. being fired it is absolutely uh, a terrifying reality that is happening in our country and the fact of the matter is th- this is month four mm-hmm. we made it through the first hundred days and some change and there has not been a single week where he didn't do something that was either uh, in alignment with the rise of Hitler, uh, a direct takeout of the book from Mein Kampf, or a direct allusion to 1984, or the 1985, whichever book. 1984. Yeah. 1984. You know, he, he... So, it's just mind-boggling that so many people are, are not up in arms. Like, fine, even the progressive movement, they're, they're fragmented on how they want to attack it, but Jared Beck himself said... It doesn't matter how we fight, so long as we do, and that we fight for the same cause. And right now, that cause is removing fascism from our government. Yeah. Let's worry about the rest later. Well, notice how he's, like, removing anybody that has a fairly high IQ. I noticed that. Like, anybody until, like, I'm not, I don't even mean that in a joking manner. Like, no, I, anybody yeah, intelligent, I, I, like, Parip Bahar is extremely intelligent. I got to see him speak last month, and it was brilliant. That's um, awesome. Sally Yates, we all got to see how sharp she is. Yeah. I mean, and he wants them I'm, out. I'm actually jealous of Sally Yates because she got to do what I really wanted to do to Ted Cruz, which was put him in his damn place. Because <laughs> oh, she put him in that's the place whole reason so why well. I'm here right now. It's oh, she's to be brilliant. To be fair, who doesn't want to put Ted Cruz in his fucking? But I mean, he's a human blobfish. <laughs> I mean, come on, he's such a prick. It's unbelievable. Um, no, but you know, I, I, and I want to take it slightly in a different direction. Not a slightly different direction, but. But I think a kind of a shame of this whole situation is that the Democrats don't have a huge leg to stand on, right? Because no, no, no. Well, I'll even I'll take you one further. I will see you or not have a leg to stand on, and I will raise you the fact that they aren't going out of their way to condemn this. Yeah. They're not pushing a an agenda of populism well, or that anything that people well, want no, to hear yeah, right That's now. obviously. But they're no, basically com- being complicit in their silence, and it's like. Honestly, you have arguably the Democratic Party. I have walked with these people. I have rubbed shoulders with them. I've shook their hands and I've had conversations with them, right? So when I say these are some extremely intelligent people, if not corrupt in in, in their actions, as we are seeing, like Tom Perez, not a bad human being in my personal opinion. He might not very well like me, but that's well, you know, Sam, the when point. you have transparency and you make sure you lead with your value. I'm sorry. Keep but going. he's not. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> this man... This man could single-handedly rewrite the histories right now 
literally, he could right now do what needs to be done and say, nope, screw this. Everything that the GOP stands for, the Democratic Party will do the exact opposite. Boom. We win. Over It, is, it, it would literally take and the f- one press conference. Well, the funny thing is he, it's not he refuses not to take a stance on any... Well, he refuses to take a stance on any policy position. I mean, he's sitting there next to Bernie Sanders, who's laying out a very clear path for the Democratic Party. You know, we need to we need to move. To, sorry, I'm, all he has to do is agree with it. No, but no, yeah, all he has to do is agree with him. He's sitting next to Bernie, and Bernie's like, you know, we need to we need to move towards a Medicare for all system that covers everybody, and we need to we need to fight for fifteen dollar minimum wage. And, to, and and then Chris Hayes is like, hey, Tom Perez, do you think that? Well, you know, Chris, when we lead with our values and uh, we put hope on the ballot, we win, and we put fear on the ballot, we lose. <laughs> I was about and... to say that. No, what what he needs? He can't fucking. He, he can't. He can't to... commit to a single position. It's unbelievable. No, no. He needs somebody in the background holding up a notepad with tick marks on it, <laughs> <laughs> like a Tom Perez uh, platitude bingo. <laughs> we just need. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Transparency no, is the middle square because he just says that There's... too much to even use that as a, as one of the options. But you There's know, no like, way this guy can win an election on what? his own merits. But There's no the, fucking way. No, absolutely well, no, not. I mean, but here's the other thing, though. It's like, yeah, we can we can diss Tom Perez and we can diss Nancy Pelosi because it's easy. But what about like some of these unknowns, right? Picture, picture, if you will, you, you have two teams. You have an all-star team that has been, you know, they've been a team for 30 years. And then you have this team of new recruits. You got a couple of stars, but then you got these rookies that have this ripe opportunity to shine to be heroes to be superstars yeah where the actual and i'm trying not to swear but where the actual fuck are the heroes <laughs> of the democratic party right now we, we already have tulsi we already have bernie elizabeth warren is trying to make a comeback and you know what for all intents and purposes i'll take her back because we have so few out. allies we, yeah, I, no, I'll, I'll take, take her. her back too <laughs> Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. But you could take any literal unknown, dem- like the, the the most junior senator, the most junior green, youngest, inexperienced congressman from BFE nowhere, and they could come up, hold a press conference and say, no, I do not agree with the Democratic Party. This is what we should be doing. I do not agree with the, the president. I do not agree with the Republican Party. I do not agree with this, this, and the other. And they could be a hero. And they could galvanize the rest of the Democratic Party. Like, it is so utterly mind-boggling. It is, like, politics is po- possibly the easiest thing to get involved in, mm-hmm. but also the most difficult, right? Because to play it is easy. To manipulate is easy. And I don't mean to make that sound cold or corrupt. What I mean to say is, if I was able to push a narrative across the tongues and mouths of eight firmly entrenched and established political figures, heavyweights, if you will, in just three weeks' time, imagine what someone with experience and actual clout could do. And the fact that it isn't happening, just, I don't understand it. Like, I'm not the smartest person in a room. I'm not the most political savvy person in the world. What did you call me? The muscle, right? I hit things. I bludgeon them. You know, to to the chagrin of uh, some of my um, peers and uh, (laughs) fellow volunteers. But you get the idea, like, I'm just a grunt, right? I hit things. You're the hammer, and and you see a lot of nails, basically. right? But if I can do that, then why the hell isn't Tom Perez or Nancy Pelosi or Christine Pelosi or literally anybody 
where is the other side? Like, there is none. There is no other fighter. And, like, okay, fine, part of it is also visibility. Okay. But, like, even on the, the progressive movement, you, it's, we're fighting for our own visibility so much that it's like we don't even give our own people the spotlight. It's like, yeah. does the left just not know how to elevate or something? Like, I just don't know. Well, you know, I, I think we're, we're in a... a and I don't feel arrogant saying this, we're in an unprecedented time on the left. Like, I don't think there's ever been this yeah. much progressive groundswell in, on the left. It, I, I mean, I, you know, we're, we're pretty young, but at, at least in my lifetime, and I'm sure maybe, you know, during, like, the Vietnam War protests there was, but... I thought you were about to say Adrian Button time. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I am the old one. For, like, no, two years. True. Uh, but no. No, more than that. <laughs> well, whatever, I don't need to... T- <laughs> um, All right. But, uh, but you know what I mean? So it, it, there's such a, such a, like a populist rage and, and groundswell behind the progressive movement right now that we're still figuring all this shit out. So I think, I, I think if we can really make a dent in 2018 and, and in 2020, that'll send a huge message around the world. And I mean, Ooh, I, I think we're really with all these different groups, you know, despite the fact that some people say, oh, well, we're splintered and whatever. I really think we're going to have a lot of victories uh, in 2018. I think we're really lined up to 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 shock some. I mean, especially you know these fucking garbage Democrats like Nancy Pelosi and Dianne Feinstein, who who literally will just spew right wing talking Corey points. Fox. Yeah, Corey, Corey Booker. Booker. But but like Dianne Feinstein, they ask her about universal health, universal health care, and she's out there saying, well. You know, I, I understand what Bernie's proposing is a is a government takeover of medicine, and I'm just you know, and I'm not there. I don't support. That's a fucking right wing '80s talking point on healthcare, being spewed by a, de- a quote unquote Democrat. I mean, we're we're done with those people. They're done. They're done. We know about them now. We have Twitter. We have the internet. You're done. So enjoy it while it lasts, because that that's you. You guys are done. You just don't know. I, I don't think they know yet because they've never been this accountable before they've never actually been held accountable because everyone's like oh yeah i'm represented by a democrat and she's been in congress or he's been in congress for 30 years you know but now that we got the you know sunlight's the best disinfectant now that we're shining a light on these people we know that they're not serving us they're serving their donors so i really think that just that alone and all the grassroots support behind all these people that are primarying all these corporate democrats we're gonna we're gonna Kick some ass in the midterms. I agree. I, and, um, I know I'm probably the biggest one that yells about us being fractured and whatnot. And that's mm. fair. I mean, I can handle that rebuke. I, as long as those organizations in those local areas, be it state or city or county or whatever, like, for instance, if Los Angeles coalesces and congeals into this fighting force and they get behind one person in each level of office – Solid, gold, great. That you're right. That is perfect. You're not referring to but anything if, in particular, are you? I'm just kidding. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, but what I am saying is, that this isn't a harp on Los Angeles because um, I think Kenny Mejia was a great candidate, uh, Green yeah. Party or otherwise. I think he was a great candidate. 27 years old. He has youth. He has passion. He has fire. He's clearly someone that we want in office. He would definitely be someone to bring a spotlight to the issues. And you know what? Maybe me and him do disagree on some of the issues, but wouldn't that make a lively debate if me and him were on the congressional floor debating something, right? That would be exciting, but it would be exciting for the right reasons. 
It wouldn't be a spectacle. It would be true political discourse. So absolutely, Kenny Mejia should be able to run. But if he's one of 26 people, and we're splitting our vote among those 26 people, four of whom are progressives, four of whom are Berniecrats, four of whom are part of what we want and need, why can't we agree as an organization, as a network, as a, as a movement to say, you know what, let's put Kenny in this position and let's put the other three in these other three positions. However, I mean, you know, it's irrelevant. Maybe this we is like, maybe this is naive on my part, but maybe in the future we can work on some form of a progressive primary so that we, and, and it's not, you know, an actual impartial primary just among progressive candidates so that we can figure out who's the progressive going forward that's going to best have a chance at winning just so we don't split because like what happened in california is that there were a bunch of progressives on the ballot and you know some other shit happened out there but we won't talk about but that's why i was trying to keep it but but that being said there were like three four bernie like you said three or four bernie crats on the thing and an establishment democrat to my knowledge ended up winning because they split the progressive vote was split amongst all the bernie crats so right. we really need to figure out a way, and and it's not and it's not to do what the Democrats of old do. It's not to say, look, it's this person's turn; they're going to run. Right. It. I think if we can develop some form of a rudimentary primary system just amongst Berniecrats and progressives, that might really help the movement going forward. So and we can even, pre- present a unified front. And even further than that, I mean, granted, that was just one race; that was a special election. Final. But that, that's going to come up a lot, a, though. I think it, it, it is. But I mean, I'm talking about actual, like a normal election, just regular whatever, yeah. where there's 15 or 16 different uh, sections. If there's 16 people running, great. Everybody needs to fill a slot. Not all fight for the same position. Yeah. And if, if somebody wins that coveted position, in this case Congress, then whoever wins that coveted position should in fact get it. And then whoever gets the second most votes should get the second most, and all the way down. You, you mean like that ranked choice voting? That is how we voting? do it. We, we have to think, yeah. We have to think outside the box. We have to think big picture. Honestly, like let's say I ran against Nina Turner for governor. Not that I would. Not that I am. Do but that. let's say I did. <laughs> right? And I lose. Then the next slot down from governor is what? Senator? But I'm not old enough. So the next slot down is Congress. So then I should be the congressional candidate because I lost to Nina Turner for governor. Or even president, right? Let's say she runs for president. And I run for governor, or I want to run for president as well, but I lose to her. Then I should run for governor. Well, what if I lose to that next person? Then it should go down, 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 down until I get my spot where I belong due to the popular belief in me or or their support of me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That yeah. I am okay with that. And I, I think we as a movement should be okay with that. Yeah. And I, and and I, I use Nina Turner as an example. Yeah. And we really hope she runs for governor and wins because that'd be yes, effing awesome. I, oh, yeah. I will say it right here yeah. and right now. And if anybody in our voice disagrees, they're wrong. Uh, our voice endorses Nina Turner when she chooses to Unofficially, <laughs> unofficially, unofficially. <laughs> I don't know that we can legally do that. But yes, we all support Nina Turner, right? Um, yeah, but no, I, we got way off topic. But back to what I was saying about where the Democrats have no leg to stand on like 30 minutes ago. Um, yes, sorry. <laughs> no, so um, I blame Adrian. The re- she didn't yeah. rein me in. <laughs> I just... I'm I'm really into going off into rants and raves. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so no, the reason I bring it up is because and and actually Dave Anthony. Oh, by the way, so just another tangent. Uh, at the end of this podcast, I did uh, like a 25 minute interview with Dave Anthony. It's super funny. He's a super funny dude. 
He hosts the uh, Dollop podcast. He's on Jimmy Dore's show a lot. He's on Marin. He's been on At Midnight. You, you, you'd recognize him. Google him. Um, but we talk a lot about his book and about kind of the state of progressive politics right now because he's, you know, really dialed into that. And he mentioned to me uh, something that I've been thinking about a lot, too. The Democrats have no leg to stand on because they've they've developed such a hysteria around this Russia thing that it, it, it has become the left's Benghazi. Like, there's very real questions about whether or not Donald Trump has shady business ties to Russia or what's going on there. But we may never actually get a proper investigation or a proper litigation of that because there's such a bloodlust right now amongst the, 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 the Rachel Maddows of the world for any kind of scrap of, you know, oh, Trump put Russian dressing on his Big Mac. He clearly isn't, collu- <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's to the point where that anything that comes out is immediately going to be dogpiled on by the left as Russia collusion. And reflexively, it's going to be totally ignored by the right because that'll make them look bad. And I don't think we're ever going to get a real uh, resolution on this matter. I mean, it's going to be, it's the same as Benghazi. You know, there are real questions about some of the procedural uh, things that happened there, but we never got a real litigation on that because the right were too busy trying to, you know, drum up hysteria for that. So it's, the Democrats really did themselves a disservice by pushing this narrative post-election, I think. Yeah, that's right. We need Will Markham on here to do a uh, translation of what we need to be saying into conservatives so that they're not offended because, I mean, he's doing an outstanding job helping our voice with um, translating the progressive message into what conservatives would understand and not be offended from. And now, granted, thankfully, with the hysteria of the GOP and their idiocy and antics, the actual phraseology and the wording and the verbiage and the just the 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 um what am I thinking of the the catchphrases? Yeah, they're actually becoming palatable to the right because of all this nonsense. So you know, hopefully, Will's efforts don't become completely wasted. But like that's what we need. We need to reach our brothers and sisters across the aisle because the truth of the matter is this: people who vote conservative aren't bad people. They probably just don't know any better, and they've been told that their entire lives that the conservatives are the party of values and the family and all things American. And for all they know, they don't know any different because all they're hearing is that anything that's bad is from the Democrats. Yeah. The propaganda machine is real and it's extremely effective in the right. It is. But yeah. and, and oh, do you going to say something, Asia? No, I just agree. But also, I mean, to that point, you know, a lot of people, and I, and I think this gets lost in translation sometimes, a lot of people voted for Trump because he was the only candidate promising them any kind of actual change. Now, we all know his change was bullshit, but he was still saying it. I mean, Hillary was going around the country saying, America's already great. I'm sorry, are you really saying America's already great when 50% of the country is poor and poverty? What what do you, if you're struggling to pay a medical bill or struggling, or you're getting evicted from your house because of predatory lending or all this other bullshit that Obama did nothing to stop financially. What do you think when you hear somebody say America's already great? You say, Oh, fuck you. You're not going to help me. You're going to, you're just going to keep things the way they are. And I'm going to lose my house. I'm not going to be able to afford these bills. You're not going to fix anything. And you know, Trump was a demigod, a a demagogue and a moron, but he was saying to them, Oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to give healthcare for everybody. I'm not going to touch social security and Medicaid or Medicare. I'm going to, you know, all this stuff, we shouldn't be involved in foreign war. When you don't put some, when you don't put a non-Goldman Sachs candidate on the ballot, when you don't put a candidate who's anti-interventionist on the ballot, 
you can't be mad when people on the left who want those things don't fucking show up to vote for them. I mean, you can't be mad when you don't put uh, someone who's anti-fracking or anti... Like, it's just... You, you, it, but the well, left did show up. But, dude, like, look at it. Look at the map. All right? Hillary won the most liberal states. It was the center who didn't show up for her, yeah. in my opinion. And the far left. The far, far left. Well, the far, yeah. Well, I mean... And to that point, you that, that was something I wanted to mention. The center and the far left didn't show up to her. And that's exactly who she was trying to pander to, was the center, which yeah. is arguably the largest voting bloc, right? But marketing 101. I would argue you she don't was talk about to the, the right, enemy. But... Well... Yeah. But the point is, you, you don't mention the enemy, and you don't mention their catchphrases. It's like, oh yeah, well I'm not Trump. Okay, then what are you? Well, that, I'm not that was Trump. her whole that was her whole platform. Yeah. Right. So Trump is saying he's Trump, and the Democrats are saying they're not Trump. What is the common denominator, Trump? So you're doubling down yeah. on this message, whereas maybe maybe I do need to eat this crow because I honestly. I've been saying for the longest that I don't think Bernie would have won regardless, not because I don't agree with him and not because I don't think his message resonated, but because the the people that came out for Trump never came out before in those kinds of numbers. But you know what? Perhaps I am wrong. And, and, well, and I mean, I, po- po- polling <laughs> indicates that, like, I, not to beat a dead no, but horse. Here's the but... thing. I, I get that the polling in the primaries, but thinking about how the, the propaganda machine of the Republicans work, I think it would have been a much closer race than the double-digit wins. I, I still think he absolutely would have won, but yeah, I agree. It would have been close. I, I think Bernie could have pulled it out in, in that his message of populism was something that was far more palatable, and he would have been able to drag uh, Trump left or force him out and to call him out on those things. I think that would have been the difference. Whereas Hillary Clinton, right, Bernie would have been talking about issues Trump would have been turning, talking about issues. So that would have been a 50-50 right there. Mm-hmm. What he wouldn't have done is what Hillary did, which was skew it in his favor with you know, 50 or 60% of Trump mentioning. I think by having a 50-50, people wanting you know, pseudo-fascism or actual populism, that could have actually ended up winning. Well, and you know, to that point, she had to do that because she had no policy substance. I mean, she, you know, that, unfortunately, I mean, and, and this is kind of the hubris and the arrogance of, of the Clintons and of the Democratic establishment. She shouldn't have been the candidate, no matter even if she had the best policies. It, it was very clear that a good chunk of the country, whether it was justified or not, just couldn't stand her. So you're, you're, you're in, in, in essentially a popularity contest. You're picking somebody that repulses half the country, at least. And to top, well, and doesn't do anything to combat it. Well, so and to top that right. off, she wouldn't support. I mean, she got booed at the freaking Democratic primaries because she would. Because Bernie would be like, "Well, uh, you know, I think we need to uh, make sure that we everyone uh, does. Everyone deserves a living wage, and fifteen dollars an hour is like the bare minimum that we can ask for." She's like, "Well, I don't agree. I just think it should be twelve dollars, and let the states decide if they want to make it higher." Or he would talk about universal health care and she would go out and talk about how universal health care will never come to pass. Really? You think it's ne- – I can't wait for the day that we fucking pass universal health care because Twitter is going to be aloft with, you know, Hillary saying universal health care will never come to pass. It's, it's – 60% of the country wants universal health care. It's the most popular health care system theoretically in the country. Right. It, it's insane to say that, but of course she didn't want that because it wouldn't have benefited her big donors. And so when you put a candidate like that forth and, and, you know, to the point of what we were talking about with Jared, you collude against the actual popular politician who's drawing 20,000 uh, plus crowds to freaking stadiums. 
what the hell do you expect is going to happen? So it's just, and we're getting off on a you know crazy tangent, but um, that that's why I think it, it's a shame that the left got into such a hysteria about the Russia thing because there is probably something interest you know something real going on there, but we'd, we're never going to probably find out the root of it because it's just going to be it's become such a hyper partisan issue that we're never going to get to the root of the, of what's going on. I think. No, I mean, that's what I've been saying all along is the Democratic Party is poised. It just, it honestly, you could not ask for a better opportunity mm -hmm. to take control of government, to take control of the heart and minds of the American people, to truly be a hero. Like, and, and I'm not trying to sound cliche or over dramatic, but, but think about it. World War II, Nazi Germany, Hitler. Hitler, yeah. Mussolini, Stalin, these people, historically, just killing their own people, propaganda machines, all nine yards, anyone who stood up against them stood out instantly, right? Mm -hmm. or, or murdered, either way. But in this case, in America, we're not at the point where we're just axing our um, political uh, enemies or counterparts or whatever, right? So yeah. we still have, yeah, we still have the opportunity to play the game the right way, which is arguably the only reason why I'm still in the political game is because the rules still can apply. And unfortunately, those champions that we have are already stretched thin, or they're not able to rise to the occasion to the full front and, and, and brunt of their power. And then there aren't others we're taking that initiative themselves. Like the only people we're seeing emerge are the ones who have already emerged. We're yep. seeing Nina Turner become more prominent. We're seeing Tim Canova become more prominent. We're seeing War uh, Elizabeth Warren step back up into the limelight. We're seeing Tulsi Gabbard stepping out into the limelight more. Bernie Sanders, right? Well, you're we're one seeing... of the few new voices, I would say, emerging. Yeah. I mean, there's not too many, but you're oh. one of the few on the left that are. Rokana. Rokana, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, he's great. But, Come on our podcast, say... Ro. Don't talk to me on Twitter anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if you do Jimmy what... Dore, you have to do our podcast. That's the rule. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm just saying, like, it's not enough. And okay, fine. If you're putting me on that on that description, it's I'm not enough. Rokana is not enough. Bernie isn't yeah. enough. We yeah. need the country. We need more people representing and having their voices heard. That that is what we need. And the fact is, we're primed. We are primed now more than ever before. Like. I just, what, I don't understand what brought us to civil war in 1861 that isn't bringing us to political activism. Well, Andrew Jackson wasn't around to stop it, Sam. Yeah, there was that. <laughs> you know, enough people aren't questioning why we, we even got into the civil war. Well, you know, if Andrew Jackson were around, he, yeah, I'm pretty sure he would have stopped it. That, that, that's... Or, um, I'm pretty sure more people would have gotten murdered if that guy Or maybe, maybe Frederick Douglass actually could have helped that's, out, that's too. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, Frederick Douglass could have been a voice of reason, right? Oh, well, according to Trump, he's still alive, so... That's true, yeah. You, you know, you can talk about it in historical context. I mean, oh. I wish he was still alive. He was a great speaker. Oh, I know. There's so many, um, so many revolutionaries. I wish we were still still with us. But, um, you know, I, yeah, but, I mean, that you know, this is... Uh, while we're talking about Bernie, I do want to get to a, a couple more news stories real quick. Yeah. Um, I do have a Bernie-related story. So we speculated, uh, I believe, last week, or maybe it was the week before... 
about the reasons for uh, Bernie taking Tom Perez out on this unity tour. You know, originally it was going to be a Bernie universal healthcare tour, and Tom Perez kind of glommed on like the Booker the Diaz onto the side of this tour. Um, And we kind of speculated, oh, well, maybe Bernie just wants to put them side by side. I think uh, this in, th- there was an interesting uh, interview uh, that uh, journalist Dina Takuri uh, uh, conducted with Bernie that kind of shed some light on his motivations behind the Unity Tour. So I just want to read that out to you. Uh, and this is from the Inquisitor. <clears throat> Bernie Sanders answered journalist Dina Takuri's questions about his involvement with the DNC in a one-on-one interview recently. Takuri asked Sanders some of the uncomfortable questions that the mainstream media rarely asks Sanders. I know what happened during my campaign, Senator Bernie Sanders acknowledged when the journalist stated that many supporters feel that the DNC undermined Sanders' presidential campaign. Uh, She didn't mince words in telling Sanders that some progressives aren't happy seeing Sanders on a unity tour with the DNC. Uh, They say, this is the party that burned you, that undermined your campaign, that's not moving to the left. That has not learned lessons from the election. Uh, why waste your time on them? Sanders admitted that her question was a good, fair question. Uh, then Sanders told her that he can't let it get personal for him. He told her that he is doing what he feels is the right thing to do for the future of the planet and for our families. We don't take these things personal, Sanders said, acknowledging that he knows how unfairly he was treated by the DNC during the presidential campaign. Uh, He told her that he also knows what President Trump and his extreme right-wing billionaire friends are capable of doing to this country. Sanders explained that uh, what he's trying to do by participating in the unity tour is to transform the DNC. Uh, He told Takuri that he and other progressives are having some success in moving the party closer towards a grassroots party. Uh, Sanders pointed out that in California, progressives are gradually taking over the Democratic Party referring to all the uh, Bernie Kratz who won the local uh, seats out there in California. Uh, He says that this is what he is trying to do now by working with the Democratic Party. Uh, Sanders admitted that he might not succeed if the resistance to progressive ideals is too strong within the party, but he feels it's his best chance right now and that he has to save the planet. Uh, This quote from him. But I do want to also say to you as somebody who knows, I think, more about this than anybody in Congress... Uh, doing third part, doing third party politics is not so easy. Uh, if you think, oh boy, why don't, uh, we don't like the Democrats. We need to start a third party and, uh, wow, in a couple of years, maybe, you know, maybe, uh, but that has not been the history of the United States. Uh, right now what I'm trying to do is transform the Democratic Party, you know, uh, starting a third party, uh, it is easy to start it. It's a lot more difficult to make it a strong reality. That's just a historical fact. So, I mean, we, we talked about that a lot, how we, we thought it was just his his calculation on the best way to to transform the Democratic Party. And he wasn't he wasn't fooled into, you know, like conceding any of his positions to them. It was just a matter of he thought that maybe he could help bring the party left. Do you, do you agree with him, though? I mean, about what he's saying about a third party and how. It's not unprecedented. It hasn't been done in a long time. But, I mean, parties, as Jared said in our interview with him, the parties do die. I mean, Lincoln, I believe, started his own party. And, you know, yeah, the Republican Party. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oddly enough. Probably regrets that in retrospect. But. Uh, oh, that's not why he started it. No, you know? of course not. It, it, I mean, you know, total ideological here's shift. Here's the question. But, 
Yeah. Here's the question I have for you, and I and I don't mean to compare them in saying that they're just they're equal. They're not equal. I want to say say that before I state this. But could our issue of our time, like slavery was their issue of their time, could healthcare be our issue of this time and start a third party? I I think there's enough support. I mean, personally, and you know, I'll get your take, Sam. But I think there's absolutely enough support behind we're tired of getting screwed over by the by the the predatory insurance industry and we we think that healthcare is a right we deserve to have healthcare like every other modern industrial country in the world i think there's enough populist uprising around that in both parties and in, in you know in, in unaffiliated uh people in the country that yeah that's absolutely i think you could start a party on that one platform point alone and maybe you know not taking corporate money and you could win an election. Like I genuinely think that if not to disrupt, if not just disrupt an election massively, but I don't know. What do, what do you think, Sam? I think in a campaign, yes. I think in terms of a party, no, because if it was going to be done, it would have happened. What we have is draft Bernie Sanders. We have Dem exit. We have them enter. We have Bernie Kratz of what have you. Um, we have uh, our revolution, um, even to a greater or lesser degree, our voice, right? These are all entities that are more or less saying the same thing, yet they're not working together. And people are, are torn between which one should they support. Um, I think the problem is less that the message would be well-received and more so how it would be coordinated. Because the delivery is in the message itself. Yeah. It's the coordination, right? I can have all the great ideas in the world. You can have all the great ideas in the world. If you can't provide it or you can't um, push it and and relay that message, right, then mm -hmm. it's a defunct message. And that's why for 40 years, nobody knew who Bernie Sanders was until 2016. And that's why when Trump ran in, what, 2000 and 2008, he was dismissed. Well, yeah, I, I don't think he yeah. fully ran. I think he was talking about running, though. And he talked yeah, about he running ran. in 20... He was a candidate. Did, did he, he actually? Own... But he had, like, 1% support or whatever, and all he did is try to as they but fucking should have. Yeah. But you have but, to remember, people weren't as involved and looking for um, some non-establishment candidate the way they are today. Well, but to, that's my point. To be fair, in um, 2000, I'll let you get to your point, but to be fair, uh, 2000, he had not yet beat Vince McMahon in a hair versus hair match at WrestleMania. So <laughs> I, th I think that that may have helped his his uh, his bid a little bit. But oh, but yeah, Sam, what were <laughs> all I'm saying is, and I'm not trying to be the Debbie Downer of the progressive movement, I'm not. What I'm trying to say is um, our voice, and, and honestly, Justice Democrats, they have that platform. They Like their platform says, thou shalt adhere to our platform verbatim no matter where in the country you are. And if, the, if these shall not abide by our platform, these shall get smited, right? Well, that already exists, and yet Justice Democrats... Isn't this coalescing centrifugal force? Well, I will not not movement. to not to fully defend them, but I, I from what I understand, they don't hold you to every one of their policy positions. They do require that you don't take corporate money, though, which I think can be the unifying theme among all these left groups: is that we all just abhor corruption in government, and we all want candidates who are going to pledge to not take you know super PAC mark PAC money and donor money. We're only going to do grassroots individual fundraising. I think that's the thing we can coalesce everybody around. And I agree. And I think in, in order to, to keep the 
I'm going to try and use uh, diplomatic words since you can probably do that. No, no, no. <laughs> to, to maintain autonomy or mm -hmm. to maintain everybody's own identity, all we have to do is to agree that if out of our candidate pool, this one has the majority support, that is the one we all support in that particular race. And then the next race, it could be somebody else. Like, for instance, 435 congressional candidates. The likelihood is Justice Democrats is not going to be able to support all of them, and they're not going to be able to field 435 candidates. Mm -hmm. But let's say for the sake of argument, they are. And so is brand new Congress, and so is our revolution, so is our voice, and so is some fifth other entity. Who's to say that 33% doesn't go to Justice Dems, 12% goes to brand new Congress, and then, you know, the, the remaining percent gets split up in three different arbitrary ways. Like, what's the, there's no problem well, with that so long as we all support yes. that. And I, and I would like to think, and, I, and, I, and, I ha, and this hasn't become an issue yet, I, I do have confidence that all of these organizations are run by adults, you know, not, not, not bickering children. And it seems to me that, like, say, you know, like the Justice Democrats put forth uh, Paula Swearingen out in West Virginia to primary... Uh, Joe Manchin, I, I would hope that none of the other groups are going to try to put forth a candidate unless we find out that Paul Swearingen is like a terrible candidate. But I, but from what I've seen, she seems to be a great candidate. So I assume that all these organizations are vetting their candidates. And once one is put forth, that we all kind of coalesce behind that one, uh, provided they stick to the, you know, they, they support the positions that we support. But I mean, that also... When you stick to your values <laughs> and have transparency. Well, well you, know, you know, Sam, uh, when, we, when we put fear in the ballot, we lose. And we put hope in the ballot, we win. I'll and, put uh, the fear of God on the ballot. I'll put the fear of this fist. On well, then you better run conservative if you want to put fear on the ballot. <laughs> hey, here's um, the thing about that. And I'm, I'm, I'll just touch it since you brought it up. And, and blame Adrian for this tangent. Um, oh my God! You can't blame me for everything, Sam. I can't. And I, will, I don't know. He's done a pretty good job so far. <laughs> I'm just saying, fear is a tool. It's a weapon. And yeah. you say jokingly, I should run as a conservative with fear, but fear can also be an inspiring thing. What's flight or fight? Right? You flee to fight another day, or you flee to actually find a place where you can stand and fight. We should be afraid. We should be utterly terrified of what is happening in our country and that should be galvanizing and tempering our anger and that anger should be put towards action and that action should be put towards a direction which is actively engaging in stopping this depravity and working together for a common solution absolutely i will use fear but fear for the sake of pushing people to action and i think as a quote-unquote democrat in ohio i could potentially achieve that. Yeah. yeah, no, they have the fear of God over there. I saw all the, the Jesus billboards <laughs> when I was there in, on business. And, <laughs> well, you're not wrong. When I drive past, I think, Monroe, there's literally like a 30 or 40 or 50-foot Jesus statue. And it's, oh, I mean, Jesus. I wonder how many homeless people could have been fed with that statue. That's yeah, just... I, the, all the billboards, I know. It's ridiculous. But, you know, the church gives charity, right? Well, now they're allowed it to contribute to, to political poor, campaigns. Right? Did you see that the other day? Well, no, okay, hold on. I love this point. Let's make this one of our talking points because, <laughs> no, no, no. And, and I say this because it, it's just like with the um, religious freedom of businesses allowed to discriminate based on their strong religious beliefs. 
The second, the exact second an Islamic business were to do that, could you imagine oh God. the outcome? Oh, could you yeah. Imagine, could you imagine the entire Islamic community working together to push their candidates or the entire Jewish community working together, or the Hindu or the... Um, What's the Scientology Chinese? community? Buddhist. 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 Could you imagine the entire Buddhist community? Or could you imagine the Christians versus the Catholics? Because there is a difference. You have the Roman Catholic Church. There's a million, so many Christians, and they're all like, they all hate each other. Right. Oh, the Christians yeah, the are all like this. It's the most ridiculous pattern. thing I've ever seen. But then you have the Roman Catholic Church that it's is like, like we did the epic <laughs> crusades. We have the Inquisition. It is like the left. We had the dark ages for a millennium. Like, yeah. come out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I was just reading a, a really interesting piece on that about how, how like, horribly women were treated during the, the Inquisition. Like, um, that's when they started burning women at the stake, oh you know, God. for being witches and shit. Yeah. And they took away all property owned by women and gave it to men. Jesus during that time. Yeah, it, it's very similar to how they were treated in Saudi Arabia, like how women had to have male Still um, guardians. And if you didn't please your husband, he was allowed to torture you. Women would get oh raped God. publicly before they were executed, by the way, in front of their families. Or you'd have to be executed if you were them. raped in Saudi Arabia. That still goes on, like a, like honor killing, where you essentially, if you're oh, raped, yeah, yeah, you like yeah. disgrace your family, so they have to kill it. Like, it's fuck it. Oh, my God. But no, there are yeah, allies, and they're on the... control over that. There are allies, and they're on the UN Security Council now, or the UN. Well, I'm sorry, the UN Human Rights Council now. And the the Women's Council, by the oh, way. The, um, the other just... thing, did you see that Saudi Arabia is now allowing women more privileges in society? They're taking away the whole male guardianship for uh, healthcare, for education. So, like, they took a small step in the right direction. I hope, if it's true. Yeah, uh, you know, I. I I saw that, and I do wonder, and I think you you made this comment too, I wonder how much of that's just grandstanding because the UN put them on this thing and how much they're actually going to... They still, I mean, they still execute atheists over there. Like, they, they, yes, they're, they're fucking they backwards as hell. Like, so... And this is not a, a condemnation of their call. I'm just saying they're... That kind of thinking has no place anywhere. Like, I'm sorry. Oh, I will condemn that culture. Yeah, I will. It's I fucking absolutely bullshit. will. Like, any, any society that treats women like that, yeah. I have no quarter for. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't apologize for and, it. And, and, and in my interview with Dave Anthony, we had a um, really interesting discussion about people in the Middle East and how they are kind of demonized and like, oh, like people on the right will be like, oh, they're savages and all that. I, I tend to think they're just kind of like, I mean, this that's kind of just a, a, a macro version of what happens when when people are just really poor and they have nothing else to turn to and oppressed yeah and, and, and oppressed by all these fucking you know gazillionaire shahs and whatever over there and the people are like they have to walk 15 miles to get a clean drink of water what do you think they're gonna do when someone comes through their town on the back of a uh, on the back of a truck and says hey join up with isis we'll give you some food and a place to stay it's not that they all want to fucking kill you know the infidel they just some of them have no choice like it, it's but we've allowed this. I mean, not that we personally, but like it's it's been got, it's gotten to the point out there where they they they're so oppressed and the income inequality is so great that it it's like some people have no choice. And well, look at Anthony. How many people do you know that don't agree with our government? I'm sure there are plenty of people in Saudi Arabia that don't you know oh join God, these fucking yeah, groups. Absolutely, and also don't agree with their fucking government. You absolutely, know? I did hear that there are a lot of men that feel overburdened by all those rules against women. They're like, this is horrible. I have to do everything, and I have to be involved in everything. Can you and imagine? It's a nightmare. Yeah. yeah it's 
sounds horrible. <laughs> not, not to be like, oh my God, can you imagine being a guy inside of your... But no, but I mean, imagine just feeling the way we feel about these things and living over there, knowing that you have to follow these things or you'll be thrown in jail or killed or like... Yeah. It's horrible on, on every yeah. front. So, I mean, but yeah, we don't have to talk about that too much, but... um. Yeah, so I mean, I have a, a few more quick stories. Uh, one's gonna piss us off, and one's gonna make us laugh. So I'll end with the one that makes us laugh. This is disastrous. Uh, Dakota Access Pipeline, and this is from the Guardian, by the way. Dakota Access Pipeline has first leaked before it's fully operational. Uh, the leak raises fresh concerns about hazards to waterways and uh, and outrages indigenous groups who have long warned of threat to the environment. So. Uh, this is, uh, I'll read you some of the details about this, but I find it really fascinating that I had to go to The Guardian to get this, and none of the mainstream press was reporting on this in America. And this happened, actually, back in April, looks like, back on April 4th, or a April 6th, rather. Uh, and we're, A, just hearing about it now, and B, it's not getting any coverage. So that's going to be real interesting to see if they can ignore this entirely. But let me just give you some of the details of what actually happened, because it's disastrous. Uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline has suffered its first leak, uh, outraging indigenous groups who have long warned that the project poses a threat to the environment. The $3.8 billion oil pipeline, which sparked international protests last year, is not yet fully operational, but nevertheless spilled 84 gallons of crude oil uh, at a South Dakota pump station, according to government regulators. Although state officials say the uh, April 6th leak was contained and quickly cleaned, Critics of the project said the spill, which occurred as the pipeline is in its final stages of preparing to transport oil, raises fresh concerns about the potential hazards to waterways and Native American sites. They keep telling everybody that this is state-of-the-art, that leaks won't happen, uh, that nothing can go wrong, says Jan Hasselman, a lawyer for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, which has been fighting the project for years. Uh, it's always been false. They haven't even turned the thing on and it's shown to be false. The pipeline, scheduled to transport oil from North Dakota to Illinois, inspired massive demonstrations in 2016 and was dealt a major blow uh, when the Obama administration denied a key permit for the project toward the end of his presidency. But shortly after Donald Trump's inauguration, the new administration ordered the revival of the pipeline and worked to expedite the final stage of construction. Now, I mean, Sam, you've been out there. You, you've seen this shit firsthand. You went out to uh, Dapple. Uh, you know, I mean... A large part, and the, that article didn't even mention it, but yeah, Obama ordered an environmental impact statement like 10 seconds before he was running out the door. He, 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 he was silent on that and wanted to let it play out for months while people were getting their fucking heads cracked open. While a woman almost, lo I don't know if she even ended up losing her arm, you know, when she got shot with a tear gas canister, when people were being pepper sprayed for just standing in front of, a, you know, a police barrier. I mean, we saw the, 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 the brutalization of native people and of, of protesters at the behest of a corporation. You know, the police were essentially acting as a militant wing of the corporation. I, what, what the, what, what can we do to fix this? Cause I mean, this is, this is just, this doesn't look like it's going away. And the reason I even bring up Obama's participation is he didn't really seem to be all that concerned with it. I mean, he, he literally waited till 10 sec. I think it, a lot of ways what he did was a lot like what he did with offshore drilling. He actually expanded offshore drilling during his presidency, but 10 seconds before he left office, he banned it because it would make Trump do it and it would look bad politically for Trump to reopen offshore drilling. But what never gets talked about 
is that it was totally flowing for the eight years that Obama was president. I, I, how much, how much of this, like what, what can we do? Cause I mean, people were out there like with like putting their lives on the line, protesting this pipeline, that's going to ravage that community. You know, it, it's totally in violation of this standing rock Sioux's 18. I, I don't know the year, but 1800s treaty. 18, uh, I think it was like 1860. Yeah, it was, it was like 1851 or something. It was like somewhere that. in that range. It, total in violation of their treaty. That land was 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 ceded to them, you know, under that treaty. Or I'm sorry, it was they never ceded that land, and they had you know, it was decreed to them by treaty. But that didn't matter. The government just you know went in there and and helped build that pipeline, and now their water is probably going to be poisoned, you know, forever. I mean, you can't you can't unpoison a water supply once you poison it. What the hell can we actually do? Because, I mean, in times like this, it looks almost hopeless when we see stuff like this. See, here's the thing, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to tell you that I have said, if not this very same thing verbatim, I have said something incredibly close to it. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. And that was from... President Barack Obama, he said those words. Ah. But you know what? That was the same motivation that I had when the government shut down in 2013. I said, I looked around, I did as much due diligent research as I could with my very limited scope of politics in the military in the year 2013. Mind you, young 20-something in the military, literally, my life completely together, no suffering whatsoever, until the government shut down and the light switch went off my head. Like, holy shit, this is happening and our government is way past redemption, right? And I looked around and I saw no champions. I saw nobody fighting. I saw nothing being done about it. I didn't see any Democrats condoning it or condemning it. I didn't see any military leaders going on the press saying this is unprecedented and unwarranted. I didn't see any of this happening. And I was like, well, fine. I swore an oath to my country that said I would protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And when the government shut down, those senators and those congressmen who were complicit in that shutdown became threats, domestic threats to our country. They undermined the democratic process. They undermined the Constitution of the United States. And so the next part of that oath is and obey the lawful orders of the president of the United States and the officers appointed above me. Right now, we have generals complicit in carrying out the unlawful orders of Donald Trump, like the blowing up that spot in Afghanistan with the Moab, the intervention in Syria, the, the um, military uh, presence in North Korean waters, the other involvement in, uh, in the Middle East that has been drawing down for almost a decade that is getting ramped back up. So to say and to see all this happening, right, multiplied into what's happening in, in, in DAPL and this pipeline, if you're not motivated and galvanized now to action after having seen these atrocities occur against our own countrymen fighting for the rights of Native Americans who are considered sovereign entities themselves, if you're not willing to fight for them or yourself after all of that, what will it take? For me, it was the government shutdown. And for many of us, it was the primaries. And for many more, it was DAPL. That's why mm -hmm. there were thousands of people there at Ochetti Camp the first time I went around. 
The second time, it was a desolate wasteland. It was barren. It was empty. And then they raided it and burned it to the ground. They did a lot to empty cannot... it, too, in the meantime, I think, between your two visits. Right. But I'm saying the presence there, the, the just the, the brashness and the, the, the brazenness, if that isn't enough outrage for people to take action and get involved, yeah. I sincerely do not know what it would take. The, the answers to your point, what do you do? How do you combat Apple? You do protest. You do write your senator. You do petition. You do make their lives a miserable hell. You do get on CNN and on news media and you get interviewed. You do run for office and you do bring them to debate tables and make them look like the jackasses they are. You do all these things. And you know what? And, and this is Samuel Ronan speaking. This is not Samuel Ronan speaking on behalf of our voice, the Air Force, or any other entity that I may be affiliated with. Violence plays a part, too. Aggression does play a part. Getting in the face of law enforcement and pushing them away when they're assaulting and beating uh, innocent bystanders. When you see them macing an innocent child or some kid out there protesting, you stop that law enforcement officer from brutalizing an innocent civilian exercising the First Amendment right. The fact that our law enforcement can get away with unconstitutional acts is reprehensible. And the fact is that they can get away with murder. They can get away with assault and rape yeah. and abuse and sexual harassment and everything else. Well, we can't combat that by being kind and polite. We have to confront them at their levels. Well, you know, and, and to the point of what you're saying, I mean, it's it's the, the, the one unfortunate thing about that is the police are so milita- militarized now. I mean, they looked like an occupying force at, at Dapple. I mean, if you, f- like, I mean, they didn't need any provocation whatsoever to fucking shoot people point blank with rubber bullets. And if if, if people actually were violent there, I, I, I worry they might have switched to live ammunition. I mean, they were fucking... Oh, no, absolutely. It, thaw- it, I, I've never seen policing run them like just fascist policing run amok on the level that we saw that it's unbelievable what they were allowed to get away with what is the one thing we did i'm sorry i was just saying they did it in ferguson too oh yeah the the point that nobody's bringing up about so much but think about this trump admires andrew jackson what is that going to say about how we treat Native American people? Yeah, if really. that's the right. motherfucker, he that guy Fucking killed a lot of Native Americans. Native Ameri- yeah. yeah, I mean, didn't he sure make did. it like a bounty for Indian scalps yeah. too? No, I mean, the Trail of Tears. I mean, he committed probably the largest scale mess. He's one of probably one of the people most responsible for the fact that there's such a small percentage of Native Americans still on uh, you know on this continent, and. Right. It's just, oh my god. Yeah, the fact well, that he has a fucking post, a picture of him in his Oval Office is well, really disgusting. Then, but. Right, and then to the point of the militarized police force, when did that activity and that brazenness stop when the military showed up? And not, granted, not like the National Guard or the Reserves. I'm saying veterans. Yeah. When veterans stand showed up, and Michael Awa Jr. led that thing, and kudos to him, I've met him in person. Stand-up dude. He's an awesome um, dude, he seems Trying like. to do... Trying to fight the fight, right? But when veterans showed up, that stopped. That I mean, that shit stopped instantly. That brazenness. And honestly, if this could get me in trouble, but honestly, if I, if if veterans, be it active duty reservist guardsmen or just pre, those who were enlisted or were in the military, would just stand up and not necessarily participate in the protest, but literally. Just form a wall in between law enforcement and protesters. 
and not in an act of blatant defiance, but as in an act of protection, yep. of fulfilling their oath, of protecting their First Amendment right to peacefully assemble, right? Now, granted, right, rioting shouldn't be protected. And even though I just said that we might have to be more aggressive, if we can do it peacefully, we absolutely shouldn't. I think if our military took the stand, or our veterans took the stand of peaceful intervention, of just building a wall and wearing their old uniforms, like the BDUs and the Vietnam-era uniforms, and just stood in between law enforcement and protesters, that would send a message that might, might galvanize the country into action. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, JFK said, uh, those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. And Let me, yes. Anthony, can I, can I amend my earlier statement? Yeah. That's what I meant, what JFK said right there. That is, that is how I'd like to amend my statement. Yeah, yeah. Retweeted what JFK said. Exactly. Uh, no, but I mean, to the and just to kind of close that topic out, you know, really to the point of what you're saying, I, that one of my favorite Martin Luther King Jr. quotes really speaks to that. Uh, and he's, I think, somebody that everyone should emulate. And I, I get really annoyed when I see uh, corporate Democrats talk about how much they love him, but they always leave out all the the uh, the socialist stuff he used to say. Like they they love to use him as a symbol, but they don't actually talk about the shit he was saying. This is a really applicable quote and it's so sad that he said this in you know 1963 or 64 63 i think and it's still going on today um we are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today we are confronted with the fierce urgency of now it is unfold in this unfolding conundrum of life and history there is there is such a thing as being too late there is no time for apathy or complacency this is a time for vigorous and positive action so he's saying, like, you can't you can't wait for this and, and, and you know, take these incremental changes which just, just get reversed and, and destroyed by, you know, people coming in behind you. If you don't fight for real positive change in the world, you're never going to see it because th- th- there's no better time than now. And if you want to inspire people, you got to you have to fight for these things. I mean, I, I think that's such a it's sad that that's a message that he was saying in 1963, you know, but it's still something we're fighting today and sam is holding up a lighter on the podcast my torch nobody nobody (laughs) can see your lighter but yes sam is holding up a lighter as a torch yeah well that was very similar to the obama quote (laughs) yeah right i mean well i should say obama's quote was very similar to his it it was like a modern update obama has a lot of great words sentiment is repeated throughout history it's always been the case you cannot expect change to happen because you will it you know, you want it to happen. You have to be the change you want to see. You actually have to do the work. You have to get your hands dirty. And I think too many people are unwilling to do that. And we've seen that within our own organization. We've seen that within other organizations. And and we've seen that throughout our electoral process. What is voter apathy other than those who are unwilling to make the change happen? Your vote is the most powerful weapon and tool at your disposal. And I say weapon and or tool. It's a tool if you use it for growth and a weapon if you're using it to combat fascism and yeah. corruption. That's why we got to make sure we make it, you know, fair. We, we need to fight for fair elections because we need to get people in there like Bernie Sanders, like you, like Tulsi Gabbard, like all these people who actually like inspire. Anthony, like Adrian. <laughs> yeah. People who actually inspire people who have a message, who have, who have goals, who have policy positions. Uh, just one more 
great MLK quote to the point of what you were saying. And Obama, you know, loved to quote him before he, he ran, and he like he really did espouse a lot of those same values in his in his first book before he was president. But and you know, for whatever reason, and we don't have to get into that because that's a hour discussion. It, you know, it, it he largely let us down on that. But Martin Luther King also said, uh, "This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or taking the tranquilizing drug of gradualism." So he saw this shit coming in 19, in the 60s, and we're still fighting that kind of gradualism mentality, you know, on the left. And we need to stand by Martin Luther King Jr.'s example and people like that who understand that the only way that we're going to get any kind of positive change going forward is to be bold and to stand up for what we believe in and not just to moderate our positions and, you know do things of that nature that are just never going to inspire anybody to come out and vote for you. I don't have the quote in front of me, but didn't he say like, there's nobody worse than the moderate person on the left. Yeah. Who Beware of the white moderate. Who, yeah. 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 The, the, he has a really, yeah. I, I'll basically describing Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, or the entire democratic party, essentially. Debbie Washerman Schultz. Well, I, I wouldn't even call her a moderate. I would call her a piece of garbage predatory i mean she you know yeah, for anyone who doesn't know about her and thinks i'm just talking shit she is heavily funded by and invested in the payday loans industry which is yeah. an insanely corrupt predatory industry that preys on the poorest communities in the world people who can't afford to start a bank account so to cash their checks they have to go to these payday loan places but these payday loan places charge you insane interest rates and you end up sometimes paying more than you even make in a month in in fees it's it's so predatory and disgusting that we let these industries operate with impunity but yeah no she's 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 super into those uh so anyway but um you know we talked about a lot of heavy shit i just want to end with one quick uh funny story uh to bring the mood back to somewhere where we don't want to go out and riot in the streets um i want them to riot in the streets yeah no really I need to plead the fifth at this point, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is going to be a Republican attack ad. Sam Ronan says you should be rioting in the streets and... No, but so I just want to talk about one more quick thing with you guys because it's... it's, I could not even believe this is real. And And there were like three or four stories like this this week where... Like Trump was talking about, like how we need to go back to steam power in the Navy, and like well, <laughs> it's to the point where I don't know if what I'm reading is an Onion article anymore because there's so many articles that are real <laughs> that are just fucking batshit crazy that I'm like, this can't be real. But no, this is this is real. Uh, so this is a Vox article. Uh, Donald Trump thinks exercise will kill you. <laughs> uh, how healthy is President Donald Trump? We don't really know. Uh, because the president never fully released his medical records, uh, instead opting for a surreal on-air physical with TV star Dr. Oz, which was real high entertainment, by the way, if you guys have seen that. Um, One health aspect Trump is transparent about, he doesn't like to break a sweat. To be more precise, he thinks physical activity will kill you faster. Uh, In a remarkable New Yorker story this week about how Donald Trump could realistically be removed from the presidency... Evan Asnas writes, uh, other than golf, he considers exercise misguided, arguing that a person, like a battery, I'll say that again, arguing that a person, like a battery, is born with a finite amount of energy. (laughs) The 
Trump human body as a non-rechargeable battery theory was first detailed by Michael Cranish and Mark Fisher in their 2016 book, Trump Revealed. Uh, after college, Trump mostly gave up uh, his personal athletic interests. He came to view time spending. Sp- he came to view time spent playing sports as time wasted. Trump believed that the human body was like a battery with a finite amount of energy, uh, which exercise only depleted. So he did not work out. Uh, when he learned that John O'Donnell, one of his top casino executives, was training for an Ironman triathlon, he admonished him, "You're going to die young because of this." Uh, on the campaign trail we learned that Trump didn't dedicate any extra time to breaking a sweat because he believes exercise is actually harmful according to this 2015 New York Times profile Trump said he was not following any special diet or exercise uh, regimen for this campaign all my friends who work out all the time they're going to uh, they're going for knee replacements hip replacements they're a disaster uh, using one of his five (laughs) vocabulary words he said, uh, he exerts himself fully. Oh my God. I can't believe this is a real thing. He exerts, he thinks he invert, exerts himself fully by standing in front of an audience for an hour as he just did. That's exercise. He says, so this fucking idiot. (laughs) Well, at least I can tell my commander that, uh, I'm fit to fight because if all I have to do is stand up at a podium and talk for an hour, I got this. (laughs) No, I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't need to do wind sprints. I don't need to do 50,000 push-ups. I just need to... Yep. <laughs> uh, you can, I can, you know, every PT waiver in the world can just get thrown out the window. Stand in front of a podium. The, as much as it's going to make me vomit to say it, the commander-in-chief has said that fitness is simply relegated down to a podium and an hour of speaking. I'm going to bring that to my commander during the next commander's call. I can't believe Can we just he... note that he obviously doesn't care about his wives then? Because clearly his wives, all three of them, have worked out a lot to stay in good shape. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure if Melania was like, no, I'm going to eat burgers all the time. I'm going to gain 50 pounds. He'd be fine with it, right? Yeah. No, he'd divorce her in <laughs> no, a second. In a second. Go, he would I, go and get a new, you I, know, import a new foreign bride or whatever you call it, mail order brides immediately. And, and honestly, if if his body is the physique of <laughs> physical excellence, then oh my god, damn! I you must I must really just change my name to Adonis because <laughs> I I clearly, I mean, if his the is the standard, <laughs> I mean, he just all he does is use optical illusions like the really long tie, the open <laughs> big oversized suit, and then the, the, the ha- his hair is you. such an optical illusion. Yeah, but you can't that. hide the fat waddle oh, of know. his throat. Oh, second you haven't noticed that he's gotten surgery there if you look at the pictures from the beginning of his presidency to now the side view his like turkey thing is (laughs) what do you call that yeah yeah his gobble thingy has gotten way smaller i was gradually well that's because of all that exercise all of that hot air exuding (laughs) from his body <laughs> when I interviewed Dave Anthony, he was telling me he has a comedian friend who has a friend that works in the White House, and they forward all the um, memos to that friend. So like he's he's been privy to, a, and I, some of this has been leaked out. I've seen some of it elsewhere, but his friend was like, you know, showing him all these emails, like internal emails. So Trump apparently walks around the White House eating sleeves of Oreos, <laughs> and he doesn't like when people eat healthier than him. So he banned. Uh, carrot and celery plates from the white house you're not allowed to have carrot and celery plates at meetings anymore <laughs> you know what you know what adrian remember how you were saying i need to eat healthier that would motivate me to eat healthier <laughs> to eat a carrot right in front of that 
Oh, I'm, I'm going to lose my ability to not swear. So I'm, I'll just leave it at that. I will eat time. a celery stick in front of him out of spite. And I don't care how disgusting the vegetable in my hand is. <laughs> I, I will eat it as if it were the last supper, as if God himself came down and said, this is the greatest ambrosia you will have ever eaten. I'll say, crunch, nom, nom, nom. Yes, it is. Sam, you can put peanut butter on it. You can put hummus on it. No, no, because that would be healthy or unhealthy. No, so it wouldn't. Talking. I will, I will eat. I will eat a straight up vegan salad in front. I will get in the Oval Office, put this the most vegan salad bowl, vegan salad like salad, and just eat God, it Sam, you're such a meat eater. What, a vegan salad. Vegan salad, Sam. Salad is like uncooked vegetables. Okay. Whatever. This is how not healthy I eat. All right, that I don't even know these things. Listen. You already forgot about the eight days in New York when you ate healthy. I mean, you didn't eat healthy every breakfast when we but got you breakfast. you had to burn the asparagus so I could eat it. Joe did that. But, uh, I, yeah, you anyway. didn't even try the salad. And that salad was awesome, by the way. You didn't eat that vegan salad that my husband made, all right? <laughs> I, yeah. No, I so. I should have tried it. So, yeah. So, so, Sorry, so, so Trump's think, Trump thinks we're all fucking batteries. I, I can't believe we lost to this fucking moron. I cannot believe we lost to this moron. He's colossally stupid. I can kind of believe he got the nomination, considering the clown car. That's why he had to uh, get rid of everybody that's smarter than him. He doesn't like people that are healthier than him. He doesn't like people that are smarter than him. That's why he hires Betsy DeVos. He doesn't like James Comey because he won't pledge loyalty to him. He's just a fucking child. Exactly, and James Comey is probably smarter than him. Oh, James Comey's definitely smarter than him. For all my qualms with James Comey, he's definitely smarter than Trump. Um, I'm yeah, pretty sure most three-year-olds are smarter. That should than be Trump. that should be like the new like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Like, are you smarter than the president? <laughs> and they just bring on a bunch of fi- actual fifth graders and like they they say, hey, what do you think about uh, you know, what, what do you think about exercise? Do you think people like have a finite amount of energy, or do you think that uh, exercise is actually good for your health? And I bet you like ninety percent of the fifth graders are like, oh no, it's good for you. Well, no, the funny thing about the are you smarter than a fifth grader? Ninety-nine percent of those contestants fail <laughs> yeah like, that's that just speaks to the horrible education system in this country but exactly oh my or god what, how much value education has in our country yeah so all right so you know we're wrapping up here but um if you listen if you're listening to this stay tuned i have a really funny interview coming up uh with dave anthony he's the host of the dollop podcast he's a Super funny, super progressive dude. So really, uh, definitely stick around for that. And um, later this week, uh, we will be releasing our interview with the DNC fraud lawsuit lawyer, Jared Beck. We had a 45-minute interview with him. It was great. Talked about a lot of stuff that I don't see him talking about too much when he's uh, you know doing his usual interviews. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Make sure you uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Make sure you share it around with your friends and tune in next week for the Our Voice podcast. Greetings. Uh, my name is Samuel Ronan. Uh, you might remember me from February when I ran for the DNC chair. Uh, now I'm the founder of Our Voice, an organization that is the quintessential grassroots support system. What Our Voice is, is the solution, the answer to the question, why is nobody doing this? What can I do? How can I help? What can we do to make an improvement? Why is this change not happening? 
You see, my voice alone was enough to bring a spotlight to the issues, but it was not enough to solve them. And your voice clamoring was not enough to prevent the collusion and the corruption and the DNC priming. But together, your voice and my voice becomes our voice. And we can fight. We can work together. Because politics is not something you do. Politics is something you live. And if you want to be the change, if you want to see the change, you have to be able and willing to make the change. Our voice enables you and enables us to be the future and the hope that we've been looking for all this time. Together, we can and we will make a difference. For more information, please go to www.indiegogo.com slash projects slash our dash voice dash democracy. We are fundraising so that our voice can be heard and that it cannot be denied. You can also reach out to us and join our voice, ourvoiceinitiative.org slash positions. Go to that page, look at all of the positions that we have available and be a part of our voice. Make your voice be heard and we can fight back against the corruption of not just Donald Trump, but the DNC and all sorts of collusion within our government. All right, so uh, we're joined on the podcast today by Dave Anthony. Uh, he's a stand-up comedian, actor, and a fellow podcast host. He's appeared on At Midnight, Marin, and Jimmy Kimmel Live, and he co-hosts the American History Podcast, The Dollop, with fellow stand-up comedian Gareth Reynolds. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. So, uh, Dave, you have a book out this week. Uh, it's called The United States of Absurdity, uh, Untold Stories from American History. And it's uh, just basically a collection of all the uh, best episodes of The Dollop in kind of a digestible uh, one to two page uh, format. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, and, and I, I don't just say this because, you know, you're on the podcast. It's it's really awesome. If you listen to The Dollop or even if you don't, you kind of are interested in random crazy stories from American history that you may or may not know about. It, it's got great illustrations it's super super funny um and it's a great way to kind of get uh you into the podcast you know you read like a little short one or two page uh blurb about you know rube waddell for example and there's no way you're not going to listen to the full you know hour and a half episode about him um so how how did the book come about where'd you get the idea to do this uh and you know what was the process like Funny, it wasn't even our idea. We uh, were just approached by uh, a publisher, Patrick Barb at Ten Speed, who was listening to the podcast and thought that it would make uh, a great book. So when he uh, when he made the offer, we were like, "Yeah, but we just want James Fosdick, the artist, to be a part of it because we we had used him at that point for so many things." Mm -hmm. And he just seemed like we consider him like the third member of the podcast. Um, so, uh, so we, we, we envisioned it as a way, cause we have a lot of people that, that try to get people to listen to the podcast, but they can't like friends or family members. Mm -hmm. Um, so we sort of envisioned it as a way for them to 
be able to give them something and be like, okay, this is what it's like. So you should actually listen. Um, so, you know, hopefully that works. <laughs> is he, is he the guy who did your uh, cover art too for the podcast? Yeah, he did the cover art and he's done a bunch of our posters and shirts. Okay, cool. um, he's really, his, his art is uh, phenomenal. If you want to see a, a really great um, thing he did in Australia, Tony Abbott was the prime minister and they have a, a problem uh, with uh, immigrants. Um, they, they keep them on this island and there's sort of no oversight and there's a lot of abuse happening. Uh, so he, if you look it up online, it, it's Tony Abbott sewing, uh, an immigrant's mouth shut. And it's one of the most like hard hitting illustrations I've ever seen of any political subject ever. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I mean, it's not awesome, but yeah. that's, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, like, so uh, kind of on, on the topic of that, what current uh, kind of batshit crazy events happening right now do you think are going to make an awesome dollop episode? <laughs> there's quite quite a few to choose from, I would say. I mean, it's really endless. Uh, obviously, Trump and what he's oh, yeah. doing. But I also think, I also think looking back, back, equally will be the Democrats and what they're doing um, and sort of, ignoring the realities of what's happening. Um, I think those two things will go hand in hand uh, to be great dollars. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the Berkeley protests too, and all, and all the kind of like mini riots that have been started, I think are going to make an interesting, uh, yeah, yeah. proud boys, you know, what proud boys are, uh, no, I'm not familiar. Gavin, I can't remember, Gavin McGinnis, I think his name is. He's one of the guys who started Vice but got bought out really early mm -hmm. and basically out on billions of dollars. But he started a group called Proud Boys, and they're just white male idiots who are mad at women. <laughs> and uh, they, like, drink milk as like a <laughs> awesomely white they are. Uh, but, like, there's a bunch of groups like that, these weird alt-right angry at women gamer guys uh that are gonna make great dollops too <laughs> um so is there is there any story you, you kind of would stay away from for a dollop just because of uh how how well known it is i mean uh like the story of like frank abignal jr for example would make is like tailor-made for a dollop but also that's already been adapted into catch me if you can you know the book and the movie so it, it, do, you, do you try yeah, to avoid stuff like that yeah, I think when there's been a when there's been a big movie about it um, that's truthful, uh, uh, we'll definitely avoid it. Ones that if if there's a movie that came out that isn't truthful, um, I think really happy to go after that. But really, really well known subjects, yeah, I don't. There's some a lot of fans ask us to do them because they want to hear our version. But to me, I don't know. It just feels I'd rather do stuff that hopefully people don't know about, mm -hmm. so you can. That's subject to light. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, you know, some of the episodes of The Dollop you've done would literally uh, blow people's minds if they'd heard them, uh, like stories that you've done. Uh, for example, I had no idea uh, Henry Ford was a maniac who built a moat around his castle and wrote, you know, anti-Jew propaganda <laughs> magazines. <laughs> um, yeah, Henry Ford was a, uh, um, he was a monster. Yeah, and yeah. The, reason I haven't, the reason I haven't covered him extensively on The Dollop yet is because it, it's it's going to be three or four episodes when you really get into what he was 
in what he did. Uh, he was uh, he was a Nazi, and he was uh, anti-Semitic and and a cruel, inhuman bastard. <laughs> How do you think stuff like that slips through the cracks? Because I mean, Henry Ford's one of the you know. If you bring up his name in casual conversation, if people don't know that, they're like, oh, yeah, he's a great industrialist. He created the production. I mean, but people don't know all this shit about him. Like, how do you think stuff like that just totally slips through the cracks? I think I think American history, the people that write the textbooks want to shine a light on what they consider to be great about America and just ignore the realities of who the people really were. So... You know, what is Henry, what's Henry Ford's greatest accomplishment? Well, he changed um, the way industry worked by creating, you know, just giant factories with hundreds hundred of thousands of people in them cranking out cars. And that's supposed to be this amazing thing that he did. But at the same time, he was crushing workers. Um, they don't talk about that, the battle that went on with workers and him. Because that's not a fun part of history. That's not something that America and the people who write the history want people to look back on and say, this is how we became what we are. But the workers' fight is probably more important than anything that Ford ever did. Yeah, and I mean, in some ways, it seems like we've almost kind of gone backwards on that front. Oh, 100%. There's been a, there's been a fight back against all of this stuff since, you know, FDR. This is That's what it's been. Yeah, no, absolutely. Reverse it. So, um, you know, a big theme on the dollop is kind of populist anger and populist uprisings uh, about being screwed over by the system. Uh, so you've covered a lot of that kind of stuff on past episodes. Considering how bad income inequality is and the fact that it's basically at a record high right now, how much longer do you think this goes on before people rise up and start to, uh, like, murder bankers in the streets? Like, you think that's kind of on the horizon? I I gotta be honest. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, the longer it goes on, the longer politicians ignore it or fight against it, the the sooner we get to people who think that violence is the answer. Like yeah. that's just how this works. If you don't fix it and you have people that are hopeless. They're going to strike out against the banks and the healthcare companies and these companies, and also the politicians that that uh, do the catering to them. Uh, it, to me, it's a super volatile time, and you know you're seeing you've seen some violence, obviously, um, in the black community with the the Dallas police shootings. Like, there's little mm -hmm. things that are popping up that are sort of against the the system and what it's becoming. I, I am really surprised a banker has not been killed. <laughs> I yeah. really am. I mean, because yeah. the amount of lives that have been destroyed, <laughs> it's, it's actually quite fascinating, especially considering our violent history. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, even like the Middle East, you can kind of almost look at as, as, a, as like a macro example of that, because they're in such drastic economic conditions that they turn to kind of whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever will embrace them and then, then it's become you know i i, I almost wonder yeah. if like people because people think you know uh, like people on the right in this country will think of them as such you know like oh they're savages and their culture is backward i, I kind of just see them as like you know they're just like really poor and they have you know right <laughs> oh, essentially you have uh in the middle east 
huge swaths of young men with no hope. That's what it comes down to. I mean, there's no jobs, there's no hope. So what do they do? I mean, that's one of the big problems with climate change that people don't really understand is it creates large groups of people with no hope. And then what do they do? Yeah, crime, violence, whatever they have to do to survive, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to see, get your opinion kind of on a couple of things we're going to talk about this week on the podcast, uh, just some kind of current events stuff. Uh, what's your take on the whole Comey thing? I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's obviously I mean, I, pretty big news. I think it's, um, I think Trump is a really, really stupid man. Like, I mean, Reagan was, Reagan had Alzheimer's and Reagan was an actor and Reagan wasn't very smart, but Trump is a new level of stupidity that is just astounding. And he's really a great example of, you can just be rich and be successful in America, no matter how stupid you are. Yeah. So I think that, I think that he, as a businessman, doesn't know how to operate in a political arena. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it's just about he thinks he should be able to tell people what to do because that's what he does in his business. And here was a guy he couldn't tell what to do. And he also didn't like his... I mean, I think it happened right after his testimony. I think he just didn't like his testimony. So he fires people for that in his regular job, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As running the Trump company, if someone does something he doesn't like, he fires him. Well, I don't know if you understood the implications that it would shine a spotlight on anything he had done wrong. I, I have The Russia thing baffles me because it's a very hard thing to find any true information about. Yeah. Because it's like Benghazi. Oh, absolutely. Well, Benghazi wasn't a great situation, and, and there were breakdowns and stuff went wrong. But what's the truth? I don't know. Try to Google it. It's a nightmare. So that's what Russia has become, because there's so many liberals that have lost their mind over it and are putting out information that's just not true, that you, you just want to be like, everyone calm down, let an investigation take place, and we'll see what happens. Well, now the investigation that was taking place has been compromised, yeah, but I think the end result. <clears throat> I think the end result is you know the FBI has pride, and they're um, for all their faults, they're they're still mostly a bunch of guys and women who want to do the right thing and want to uphold the law. And when you take out their top guy and the way he did it, I mean, <laughs> the way he was fired is spectacular. Like, you, you couldn't even write that on a bad TV show. It was so insane. <laughs> like, coming up behind him on the screens, you're fired. Like, it's just insane. So, so the way he sort of degraded their boss um, is an insult to all of them. And, uh, and they're going to take him down. It, it's kind of amazing. There's no, way Trump, there's no way Trump didn't do illegal stuff. His whole time in New York, right? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I I live in New York, so I've seen this, you know, for years, him pulling this kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah, we've all all seen him. So there's no way he doesn't have a history of doing tons of illegal stuff. And there's no way that there aren't guys out there now trying to dig up every single thing he did. And when they hit Trump, if the Republicans don't take him out, they will find all that stuff. And they will hit him with so many charges at once that it will make people's head spin. (laughs) That's what I think is going to happen. Yeah. And it's almost amazing to me that nobody in his inner circle, like, told him how insanely guilty it would make him look, whether he's guilty or not, to just 
fire him right after his testimony, right in the middle of an investigation. I mean, it sounds like from what I'm, I mean, again, you can't really tell what the truth is, but it sounds like yeah. with all the leaks that are coming out, that people were telling him not to, but he can't be told what to do because he is the head. He's the head business guy of his company and he gets to tell people what to do. So his, his, I don't think his mind works like that. And I don't think he can contain him. So that letter that was written, <laughs> Firing him, like there's no way that more than one or two people wrote that. It was just Trump and another moron that wrote that. Like there's no way everybody in the White House got together and was like, let's craft a message. That was just an idiot spewing something out and another guy nodding his head. Like it's just insane. Oh, absolutely, that, that was Trump and Bannon in a room together with with you know with a laptop totally. probably. I wouldn't even say Bannon. Even Bannon is smarter than that. Like it had to have been someone. Just a total moron. <laughs> By the way, so I know a comedian, and she has a friend that works in the White House, and and the friend sends her emails of of the group emails that go out to everybody, telling people what to do. And so Trump is known for walking around the White House eating sleeves of Oreos, <laughs> and he got mad that all the interns and staff members were eating healthy. And so he banned the eating of little baby carrots and celery sticks. <laughs> and then the best thing is that an email went out, and I read this one, <laughs> saying everybody had to call him Mr. President 273 now because that's the amount of electoral votes he won. <laughs> this can't fucking be real. I can't. Every day there's a news story. Like, like, so when you say a dollop's going to come out, like his dollop's going to be like the rube of politics. Like, like it's, it's got to be a ten-parter. I mean, you can't. You can't. You can't even the stuff that the stuff that is going to come out of this is people going to be like, what? Like, it's so cartoonish and so insane that it's going to be hard to believe. I mean, there was a story uh, I think yesterday uh, that about how he thinks that people have a finite amount of energy. And that you shouldn't exercise because you, when you exercise, you exhaust your finite amount of energy and you're going to die sooner. And he, like, legitimately believes this. I heard that. I heard that. And then <clears throat> I, I read something online about it. Someone sort of broke down what they think his psychological makeup is. And he, he always needs to be dominant. So mm -hmm. when people are healthy, he takes that as, like, oh, you think you're better than me? Like, he's just crazy. Unbelievable. Are you uh, as excited for Hillary's new super PAC as I am? Oh my! I mean, just I, I can't. I can't understand. Like you lost. You lost to a rapist, as as in court records that his wife said. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, his own his own words, saying he's uh, a sexual uh, assaulter, uh, a total moron, just the most base human. Why why would we give that person any say in the party? You, you lost so badly to an idiot that just go. She needs to be told to go away, and new voices need to come in. I don't care where the new voices come from. New people need to now be brought in to to lead and to tell people what to do. And that's not that's not who should have any say in anything anymore. Yeah. There, there are repercussions for losing that badly and running a campaign that badly. There you should just be. need to go well. Right. 
every other country, every other country, I mean, look at what happened in, in England with Brexit, right? Mm-hmm. He loses Brexit and he goes, I'm done, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> like, that's how, that's how this should be. You should now go away. Have no part of the DNC. Have no part of the Democratic Party. You get to go off and just be rich somewhere. Just enjoy your $120 million. Yeah. And, but it's crazy because, yeah. like, all the people that were involved in that disastrous campaign are now staffing the DNC and, you know, in every level of the Democratic Party. They all seem to have gotten yeah. promotions for fucking losing that badly. Right. I mean, it just comes down to the corruption. You know, at the end of the day, the DNC and the DC, C, 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 whatever. Uh, they uh, they just want money and and they have nice houses and they send their kids to private schools and they have nice cars and they just want the money to keep rolling in and it's not just the the by far it's not just the politicians they have staffs and they have uh, they have lobbyist friends and everyone is making their money off this system so there's swaths of people that just need it to not change mm-hmm. or they lose their house. So they're they're actually fighting to keep their homes and their nice stuff, and that's the reality of it. And they have to lose that stuff for the country to keep going. Like that has to end. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you uh, think- years ago, years ago, the the most um, the richest counties in the country were spread all over the place mm-hmm. around New York, around LA, up in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Now the seven richest counties surround Washington D.C. And that just says it all. It's just a completely messed up system. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you, I mean, do you think the tide's kind of turning? I mean, it, it we're seeing now kind of uh, even these like corporate Democrats, you know, Diane Feinstein, Nancy Pelosi, are getting heckled at their own town halls by their own base. I mean, do you think the tide is finally turning to the point where we're actually going to get rid of these these corporatists in the party and bring the party? To closer to something resembling what the base actually wants, you know, single payer, fifteen dollar minimum wage, things like that. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see because you know the system is set up, the laws are set up to help those you know super rich people controlling the party. Yeah. But you know, California has been largely taken over by Bernie people, um, so there is a chance. But it's going to be a hell of a fight, and they're not going anywhere. They're they're going to hang on for dear life. But you, you see small signs like I've always been on Feinstein's mailing list, and she recently started sending out emails explaining all the great things she's doing, where she never did that in the past. Hmm. She's never she had to just talk about different issues. Yeah, but now she's like, this is what I did. I broke this down. I did this. I did that. And it's like, oh, you're, you're, you know, there's a change. Like she knows there's a change. And she's one of the most corrupt politicians oh, in yeah. the country. She needs to, like, she should have been gone years ago. She's just a horrific, horrific uh, senator. I mean, she's out there, like, spatting right-wing talking points on universal health care about how it's like a government takeover of medicine and all this shit. I'm like... I mean, it's, it's just like when Nancy Pelosi was questioned by that kid on CNN, and he stood up and he said, hey, my generation doesn't really believe in this, and, you know, they're starting to believe in socialism. She said, well, we're capitalists, and it's like, Listen to what they're saying. It's a whole generation. If you want to doom your party, keep going the way you're going. But that's that's the next generation who are, by the way, the biggest in numbers. I believe they're more than baby boomers now, right? Yeah, so yeah maybe, maybe listen to what they have to say and don't just you know, have your eyes go big and say, we're capitalists. Like, okay, 
well, guess what? You're going to have to make some changes to your horrific predatorial capitalism. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. So, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. I really appreciate it. Um, so your book oh, again. sure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, your book again is uh, United States of Absurdity. It's out now. Uh, anyone who listens to this who doesn't listen to the uh, dollop should do that because it's way better. I, I mean, you have way more listeners than we do, but in case there's any crossover of people that don't listen, uh, you should totally listen to that because it's honestly like one of the funniest podcasts in existence. Um, and oh, thanks, yeah, man. yeah, no, absolutely. And pick up the book. It's super affordable. It's only like 15 bucks list price. So again, thanks, Dave, for joining us. And um, you want to plug any? You want to plug any of your live shows real quick? It's probably going up on uh, Friday. Oh yeah, we're doing. Um, uh, we're going to Washington D.C. <laughs> and uh, we're going to Philadelphia in July. I think it's the 14th or 15th. And you can go to our website, dollarpodcast.com, and it's got all that stuff there. All right, to awesome. get links and whatnot. All right, awesome. All right, well, th- Dave, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, yeah. Have a good day, man. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, bye.